From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And for this week's show, we're going to do something a little different. CQ hosted a webinar forum this week for subscribers, which I moderated to discuss the state of the appropriations process. And we thought our podcast listeners would like to hear that discussion. We talked about the political dynamics at play this year, why the House and Senate are on a collision course over spending, prospects for a stopgap funding measure, the growing pressure in the Senate for an emergency supplemental spending bill, and we took questions from viewers. I was joined by two of my CQ Roll Call colleagues, Aidan Quigley and Paul Krozak, for this hour-long webinar, which was taped on July 13. Here now is that conversation. So we want to take a look at where we are now on the whole budget and appropriation cycle. Because I got it. And I think the most important thing to look at here are the political dynamics at stake this year. Because I've got to say, I've been doing this since 2015, I think. Paul, you've been doing it longer than I have. But I, I really can't remember a year where the politics have been so fraught so difficult where political tensions have been so high and where you know the the impasse here as as the as the parties just get so polarized is shaping up to be a real dogfight if not a total breakdown can you think of a time that it's been this difficult well i don't know i mean it, you know different years it's difficult in different ways um but i mean situation we have this year is you have very narrow majorities in the Senate and in the House. Democrats control the Senate, Republicans control the House. And, uh, you know, partly because you have a very narrow majority in the House, yet you, you have a, a large block of hardline conservatives in the House um, who are very assertive and um, are really, you know, um, driving the show to some extent here and you know insisting on much lower spending levels than were approved in the uh, debt limit uh, deal uh, by the White House and both the House and Senate that's the primary source of tension which we'll talk about but I mean you know what we know is you can't do appropriations without bipartisan cooperation and there has just been scant evidence of any bipartisan cooperation. I would argue this year more than most. It's always difficult. You're right. But, you know, we've already had a revolt on the House floor where business was brought to a halt just a couple of weeks ago by the hardline Freedom Caucus, this, this right wing flank of the Republican Party. And we see it this week on the House floor, right, where, where they're trying to do the, the defense authorization bill. They've done that. That's the most bipartisan bill they do all year. Usually they've been able to pass it for something like 60 plus years in a row. And even that now is in is in real danger, I think, where where conservative, the hard right conservatives are pushing all of these culture war amendments that are going to get floor votes that the rules committee just allowed. And Democrats are threatening to vote against the whole bill because of that. If those amendments pass, I mean, 
if it's going to be that hard to pass the defense policy bill, I mean, where does that leave appropriations? I, I, I just think it really is, you know, the margins are so tight. We've got 222 Republicans, 210 Demo- 212 Democrats. I think that Republicans can only lose four votes of, of their own members to pass anything if they're going to have these party line votes. I mean, only it only takes a few guys to derail the whole thing and, and, and wreak havoc. That's why it's so difficult. And you've got a Republican controlled House and a Democratic controlled Senate. And they're just not in the same place. Um, I just see this much more difficult than usual. There was already talk of of a, of a stopgap funding measure as early as this month. I'm not sure they're going to do it this month because I don't think they do anything ahead of time early. They they have till September 30 when the fiscal year ends. So I, I think more likely they wait for September to deal with the stopgap measure. But there's surely going to be one because these bills have gotten nowhere so far. Uh, They're just now getting out of committees, but none are on the floor in either the House or Senate. I don't know, guys. What? How do you rate the chances here? Can they even pass a stopgap measure? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So uh, it's unclear at this point. I mean, at the end of the day, you would assume they would be able to cut up with the coalition, like we saw in the debt limit deal of a lot of Democrats, some Republicans. uh, You know, keeping the government open, but that's definitely not a Sharp thing at this point, I think kind of in a more with a more immediate lens, keeping an eye on the house since month, uh, trying to move bills on the floor in the next couple of weeks before August recess. That's also going to be a very challenging uh, notion here, but something they're definitely going to push for. But as we saw earlier this week, and as David pointed out, the Freedom Caucus has said they want cuts even deeper than the cuts that the Appropriations Committee is is laying out. And their bills right now. So with the slip margin, it's tough to see the House Republicans being able to pass bills uh, on the floor. But I, I do think when it comes time to pass its CR at some point, uh, Speaker McCarthy is going to have to decide between shutting down the government and organized Democrats to keep the government open. So that's going to be an interesting time when the time comes around. Yeah. And, you know, they already had a knockdown drag out fight over raising the debt limit just last month. And there was a brief moment there uh, that we thought passage of that deal would get appropriations back on track this year because to suspend that debt limit, they had to come up with a spending deal. They had to come up with overall spending caps for the coming fiscal year. And they actually got bipartisan agreement from both chambers on what those spending gaps would be. And there was that brief moment where everybody said, aha, once we have these spending caps in place, appropriators can do their thing and we can they can pass bills and we might be on the on the road now to progress. And it turned out that wasn't the case at all in the House. If there's ever going to be a year where the House should have been able to uh, you know, both chambers should be able to work together to pass appropriations bills on time. It would have been this year when you have an agreement already made on the top line in May, May late May, June. Uh, but obviously, we're seeing House Republicans are running below that level, saying that the cap is a ceiling and not a floor. That's the argument they're making. And, uh, you know, on the Senate side, the Democrats and Republicans are working together uh, a little more. And, and 
you know, the, the Democrats are still letting the bills and setting the levels, spending levels. But as we saw at the markup a few weeks ago, you know, there's unanimous votes for two of the kind of non-controversial appropriations bills, which you, you would never see in the House where the two sides are kind of fighting it out a little more. And we did see, Aiden, this this revolt on the House floor from the Freedom Caucus, mostly over, you know, mostly angered by the debt limit deal. I mean, there was this real sense that that the deal wasn't good enough, that it didn't pair. They wanted to pare back spending to fiscal 2022 levels. And the deal didn't do that. Uh, it mostly kept spending, you know, relatively flat. And so the Freedom Caucus folks were pushing for a tougher line. And then McCarthy kind of granted that to them, saying, OK, we are going to write bills even lower than the spending caps for the non-defense side. And then and then Democrats said they felt hoodwinked that <laughs> that it's that's not what the bipartisan deal was. And so tensions have just reached this fever pitch that's really going to make things difficult. Everything in the House is going to pass in party line votes if they pass at all. And so let's just to see how far apart the two sides are. If you look at the Senate spending allocations versus the House spending allocations, Lydia, I think we have a chart uh, that we wanted to show folks. If you can put that up, because it really I don't want to I don't want to blitz everybody with a lot of numbers. And this is a complicated chart to take in, but we can talk about it just a little because I think it shows how big the gap is that they have to close here. This shows you the 12 annual spending bills, and it shows you the first column shows you what the Senate, controlled by Democrats, what their spending allocations are for the coming year. And then it compares it to, to this year's level and, and some other ones. But then if you look, the last two columns really show you how, how different they are from the House allocations, both in dollars and in percentages. You can see that the two chambers, if you look at the totals, they're $119 billion apart in their spending allocations. It's a huge amount about an 8% difference where the Senate bills are far more generous in funding than the House bills are controlled by the Republicans. And we should say, these are the differences in the allocations. It doesn't mean the bills themselves will be that far apart because in another, in another move that's angering uh, the Freedom Caucus, the hard right that we can talk about, guys, um, in order to sort of find some middle ground, what House leadership has done is they're clawing back some previously appropriated money that hasn't been spent and and applying that to sort of increase spending in these areas so that the, the cut is not as severe as these numbers would show. Um, it gets complicated, but that means that the House bills may be, uh, move a little closer if they if they rescind all this untapped money that might close the gap, which has only further angered the Freedom Caucus folks, because then they say these aren't real cuts because you're you're going to use some some extra money that we have sitting on the side uh, to make up the gap. And they don't want that. And they're threatening to vote against these bills because of that. Um, so that's another problem lurking here. But if you see, there's a grand total here in the second to last column of $119 billion. And to show where the real fight is, almost half of that comes from, if you look at the labor HHS education bill, 
you'll see there there's a there's a forty eight billion dollar gap difference between the Senate and the House. So almost half of that one hundred and nineteen comes just from that one bill. That is the bill. It's the biggest non-defense spending bill every year. And it's the bill Republicans really hate the most. It's where they say there's too much excessive social spending that they want to get rid of. And you see it right there in that chart uh, where the Senate is far more generous in that bill, where the House wants to cut, you know, the House, uh, you know, is 48 billion down from where the Senate is. So it's just a huge gap. And just to show how polarized that bill is going to be, because the House appropriators just this morning, in fact, released their labor HHS education bill, the Republicans. And just to show you how polarized it already is, I was struck seeing the news releases come out on it this morning. Uh, guys, where, you know, the, the Republicans just put out sort of a straight news release saying committee releases labor HHS education. The Democrats put out a release. And I just wanted to read the headline because it just shows you how angered they are. The headline on the Democratic Party's release of the bill, it says House Republican funding bill kicks teachers out of classrooms, takes away job opportunities and harms women and children. Now, you know, that's I don't remember headlines getting that vitriolic in past years. Usually they're not quite that aggressive. But of course, these are more dramatic funding cuts than we've seen in past years. Yeah, they are. And, you know, House Democrats are definitely very upset with the path that House Republicans are taking. Uh, and I think, as you pointed out earlier, that's only heightened by the fact that we did have this debt limit deal where Democrats agreed to spending caps that, you know, are not we're not favorable to that, you know, in order to, in order to get an agreement to raise the debt limit. Like these spending caps were, were tough for Democrats to stomach to the extent where you saw House Appropriation Director Member Rosa DeLauro vote against the debt limit bill. Uh, and she's generally someone who will, you know, go with leadership and, and, and you know, be a team player. But she was just looking at these caps and said they're too, they're too severe for, you know, for Democrats. But uh, it's... You know, when we look towards an end game, it's really hard for me to see Democrats agree to anything below these gaps, which are already difficult for them to to support. Uh, I think that that's something that, you know, it's going to be uh, a challenge. Yeah. And the the other thing I think this chart is useful for is it, it does show you the bills to watch for. Right. It, it shows you where the biggest fights are. And it is on on non-defense domestic spending. Um, because you'll see, you know, the, the 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 basically the three bills that Republicans actually like: defense, uh, homeland security, and military construction (VA) for the veterans. Those don't have those don't have huge gaps there to to reconcile. Really, there's some differences, and everything's a struggle. But and homeland security does have bitter political fights over immigration policy. And border wall funding. So that's a challenge. Um, but you see where the biggest dollar differences are really are on the, on the non-defense side. Certainly the labor HHS, you know, the healthcare stuff and education stuff is is the one is are the programs that really, really uh, raise Republican anger. Um, and so there, as I mentioned, the 48 billion dollar difference, nothing tops that. Uh, but you've also got the transportation HUD bill. 
you'll see a huge difference there of $22 billion. Uh, and you've got the um, interior environment. I mean, that just came out yesterday where the Republican interior environment bill, it, it provided the lowest level of EPA funding, I think, in, in three decades. And you, and you see the big gap there where the Senate is 48% higher, the chart shows, than the House. Again, some of these differences are exaggerated because they can claw back other money that they want to use on the side to to fill some of the gap. But um, you see where that's a huge battle. And you see also, I would just point out the Commerce Justice Science Bill, um, because Republicans are really taking aim at that because that funds uh, the FBI and Republicans are basically at war this year with the FBI, which they think has has weaponized, they say, the the, the government uh, against conservatives. Uh, you see the Senate bill there is is almost $11 billion more than the House Republican bill, uh, an 18 percent, 19 percent difference. Um, so those are really uh, going to be a problem. <laughs> and the financial services bill, really, which funds the Treasury Department and the IRS, right, because Republicans are really up in arms over over that, too. They want to claw back all this IRS money the Democrats provided last year. So you see uh, in percentage terms, that's big, a 48 percent difference there where the Senate's more generous than the House Republicans. Um, I don't think, you know, I, I just don't think we've seen gaps this wide before, Paul, but I'll defer to your expertise. These just look pretty big to me. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, they are. They are wide gaps. And uh, again, you know, you have the uh, the Freedom Caucus really has a lot of a lot of clout right now because of the uh, the narrow Republican majority in the House. And uh, they are, you know, making demands and um, and, uh, you know, those demands are are being met to an extent. Yeah. Well, so we should say there's been a flurry of activity right now. So it it looks as though to the casual observer that appropriators are certainly busy, right? Uh, we're, we have a lot of markups going on in committee this week. There's more this morning as we speak. There's some subcommittee markups tomorrow on Friday. Um, there's been a lot and 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 Senate Appropriations Committee is 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 holding its second markup of the year uh, this morning as we speak on Thursday. So there's a lot of stuff going on in committee. They're trying to to churn out these bills. But where they go from there, I mean, the Senate and there is a striking difference, Aiden, here and how between the two the between the two sides. And you do see that at these markups, right? Oh, for sure. And something I would point out, you know, First off, as you as you just said, the Senate is definitely kind of a more collaborative institution. It sounds like, at least on the first few bills, like the military construction VA bill, Republicans, you know, helped craft that bill. Uh, I'm assuming something similar is happening for many of the other bills. You know, definitely communication between two sides. While on the House side, just like it was last year when Democrats were control, the the party in power just kind of rolled out their bill and then pass it, you know, with a party line vote uh, in the Appropriations Committee and then on the floor. You know, basically just Democrats supported the, the you know package of a few bills that didn't move. Um, but on the House side, the Republican appropriators are doing everything they can 
from my perspective, to win over the Freedom Caucus and get their votes because they need to to, to get the to two eighteen on the floor because no Democrats will, you know, jump on on board and support the uh, you know Republican bills that have the cuts that we saw in the you know spreadsheet we just laid out. But even with you know the decision to write to the fiscal twenty two levels, you know, you have the Freedom Caucus saying yeah, in a letter earlier this week that you know they can't vote or to build the house, you know, appropriates are moving unless you get rid of those decisions that you talked about earlier. And it's just really, it just is very challenging to see how, you know, in the next couple of weeks, you can see appropriations bills move on the floor, but they are having a hard time with the NDAA, which typically is an easier bipartisan bill um, compared to, you know, partisan appropriation bills on the, on the House side. And part of this is normal, right? I mean, you always see more bipartisan cooperation in the Senate than you do in the House. That's because you can't advance any bills in the Senate without bipartisan support. Senators know that. So the Senate Appropriations Committee is always more cooperative than the House Appropriations Committee. I'll grant you that. Um but the differences are much starker this year because the you know the, the funding gap is so huge and the pressure from the right wing in the house to pare back spending is so much greater this year now that they have uh, you know a house majority and so you're seeing these party line votes uh whereas the senate has has pa- the senate committee passes these bills with flying colors on both sides the House committee is strict party line votes in committee, and they may lose votes on the floor. And that so that's why there's a real question whether any of these now can even pass on the House floor, because Democrats certainly won't support it. And Republicans can only lose four of their own members if everyone's voting and still pass these bills. And it's pretty easy to see four members or more defecting. Right. I mean, <laughs> it only takes a few irate right-wing conservatives or some moderates, GOP moderates who, get, who are getting queasy that they're spent, the spending cuts are too much, uh, who might represent districts that, that President Biden carried. Um, it wouldn't take many defections on the Republican side to sink these bills on the House floor. It seems like the Freedom Caucus folks would definitely be the ones guys that follow the of the moderates, despite the fact that there are pretty severe cuts. The moderates tend to be team players and support McCarthy. And uh, I think the Freedom Caucus is kind of more willing to, you know, revolt against him as we've seen a handful of times during the past six months uh, of this Congress. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And we did, ju- you know, the Freedom Caucus, well, it wasn't strictly Freedom Caucus, but a group of 21 House conservatives, the right-wing conservatives, mostly Freedom Caucus, did send a letter to Kevin McCarthy uh, this past week, I forget which day now, uh, sort of uh, laying down the line uh, and putting down their marker here, telling McCarthy, hey, we're not going to support these bills unless they really do pare back spending to fiscal 2022 levels without these what they would call accounting tricks that leadership is trying to do, which are these rescissions, these clawbacks of, of previously appropriated money that that can that can you know fill in the gaps here and make the spending cuts less severe they just said flat out if you're going to depend on these rescissions to actually increase spending or keep spending flat 
we're not going to play that game. That that was the message of that letter, which was pretty dramatic, which puts McCarthy, I think, in a real bind uh, now because they were hoping they had a strategy that would satisfy both sides of the of his fractious caucus, right? To get spending bills passed, where on paper they're pairing back to fiscal 2022 levels, but there are also these rescissions to keep spending more or less flat, which would line up better with the Senate bills. But if the Freedom Caucus won't play along with that, that's the big question. What happens next, guys? Yeah, so I think I think we'll see on the House side, at least, McCarthy tried to give the Freedom Caucus everything they're asking for as much as possible. Uh, and it tried to convince moderates to vote for it, it with the same argument they made on the initial Republican delegate bill, which is this is just a negotiated position. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is not a, we're not voting for all the things in this bill. We're just trying to sit, draw a line in the sand and say, this is where we are and we can be in the middle. So I think that might be what we see moving forward. But I think when you get to the end of the day in the appropriations world, if they are going to pass, Anything, it's going to have to be with Democrats because they, they need to get the Senate on board. They need Biden to sign it. And, it, you know, at a certain point, the Cosby will have to decide to play ball with the Democrats and come up with something that they can agree to uh, and have probably more Democrats than Republicans, as we saw in the Delegate Bill, but something along those lines with appropriations written to the caps in the Delegate Bill. That would have to be how it would have to play out if we will see, if we will avoid a shutdown. Yeah, Paul, I was just going to say, I mean, we need to talk about timing because the, the clock is ticking and time is running out. Uh, it's hard to imagine. They've only, they're only going to be in session for another two weeks, and then they have the month-long August recess. And when they come back in September, uh, and it seems like it seems like there will be no spending bills on either the House or Senate floor this month, I think I would cautiously predict Um I, I, despite the bipartisan cooperation in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, just said this morning they're going to turn next week to the defense authorization bill. That takes a long time to do, and they've only got two weeks left in the month to do it. So I, I think that pretty much rules out the Senate this month. And and the House, I don't know, maybe they could pass one or two of the least controversial bills on the floor this month. but. It seems like even that's going to be a heavy lift. They're sort of out of time this month. August is a month-long recess. By the time they come back in September, they're going to need a stopgap measure, the dreaded continuing resolution, we call it, the CR, uh, just to avoid a government shutdown when the new fiscal year begins October 1st. Oh, where are we? How does a CR even come about now? Right. So, you know, the... You know, House Republican leaders have been, you know, as we mentioned earlier, have been talking about putting together, uh, you know, putting a CR on the floor this month. Now, we think that that's probably probably not going to happen, but it could happen. But, it, it, you know, and, and what they have been saying it, you know, behind closed doors, I mean, one, one reason for a CR would be the there are some members of the conference who like a CR in place because they feel like if there is a CR in place asked, then there will be less pressure on them to agree to things and appropriations bills which they oppose. In other words, they won't be backed into a, into a corner as easily because 
there is that because there is this CR in place that will avoid a government shutdown. Um, but I think there there is another you know potential reason why House Republican leaders would want to pass a CR, and that is that it would show you know where you end up if you can't get agreement on appropriations bills. Right. So the conservatives really want to cut non-defense spending. Um, but if the House and Senate can't reach agreement, then you're going to end up with some kind of continuing resolution. And I think by putting that CR front and center, you know, you can send a message to conservatives that, you know, if you're not willing to compromise, this is where we're going to end up. Um, so, you know, as you said, when they get back in September, you know, they're going to have 30 days as a CR. I mean, that's that's going to be, you know, the main project in September, taking up the CR. And, you know, it's going to be a real challenge to figure out how to write a CR in the House to get all Republicans on board to pass it. Right. And because the main problem there, Paul, I think, is a continuing resolution. They call it continuing for a reason, because it just continues current funding levels. And the problem McCarthy has there, you know, for a short term or a certain period of time, stretching it into the new fiscal year. But the problem McCarthy has with continuing current funding levels is his right flank doesn't like current funding levels. They want to pare back spending to at least what it was a year ago. They want to see cuts. So would the Freedom Caucus folks be on board with any stopgap measure that continues current funding levels? That, that's the challenge because, you know, CRs, you know, um, in you know past several decades have typically always been written to continue to extend funding at current levels and also to extend policy language, terms and conditions, riders to extend those into the next year. That's the way they've been written. But they don't have to be written that way. You can write a CR any way you want. You could write it to reduce spending to fiscal 2022 levels. You could write it to increase spending in some areas and lower spending in other areas through anomalies. But, now, but that sounds like a heavy lift for a, a CR. I mean, how do you get agreement on that? If, you, if they could agree on all that, they could they could they could do final appropriations, right? I mean, right, right. It would be a heavy lift. And then, of course, you know, you have to get it through the Senate. So it's going to be very hard to get any CR that is not a tr traditional CR that extends at current levels through the Senate. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's going to be a, a challenge for, uh, for House Republican leaders. I, I do think that just as we've seen in previous CRs, more or less, it will have to be a bipartisan effort to pass the CR. Obviously, you need 60 votes in the Senate, and you need, you know, Republicans. So if they, if McCarthy does take the path that uh, Paul was hinting at of writing a CR that would like cut spending or, or advance other Republican priorities, the Senate would not accept that. So they would have to come up with some kind of middle ground agreement, um, which would obviously be uh, contentious if it's not just extending the current levels. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing is that um, the, um, you know, e even if the CR were, you know, perfect from a conservative standpoint, you know, you're still not going to get all the conservatives voting for it. I mean, so you're probably, I mean, you're certainly going to need Democratic votes 
or pass a CR on the House no matter what. So, I mean, it, it'll be a bipartisan exercise. But getting a bipartisan deal on that is is not going to be easy, it sounds like. Even a short-term measure. Well, I mean, you know, I think that I think a lot of Democrats would vote for a CR that continues funding um, at current levels. I mean, I don't think that would be a big problem in the House. But but you are going to have, you know, you're going to have opposition from maybe a lot of Republicans to that kind of a CR, you know, for various reasons. Um, I mean, the, you know, some conservatives are not going to want to vote for a CR that continues spending at current levels because you do that and then you take up that, then you put a plan for appropriations bills that cut the spending below. I mean, you don't want to set the precedent of current levels when you actually want lower levels. And then from a defense Fox standpoint, you'd prefer not to vote for a CR that extends at current levels because that could set a precedent if you end up with a year-long CR, you want to increase the defense level. So, you know, you, you, you'll probably, you know, you can, you can get a CR through the House at current levels with Democratic support, but, but it, it's, but, you know, House Republican leaders want to get as many Republicans on board as possible. They don't, they don't want to, you know, start a civil war within the country. And and there's already been whispers of of turning to a full year CR, just you know, keeping all spending on autopilot for the whole fiscal year, because because it looks so gloomy for getting appropriations done. I, I don't think I've I I don't think I've ever been here when they did a full year CR, and it, it's probably still unlikely. But does it, I don't know. The more they talk about it, does it seem like that's where we're headed? Well, that, so that would be a big win for Democrats if they can keep spending levels at the fiscal twenty twenty three level that they enacted when they had control of both chambers of Congress. And I think the only way that we, well, if it's a full CR at the current levels, that that's that's a big caveat there. But if that's what we see happen, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure if McCarthy would would go for that. But at the same time, you know, the question is, can they, you know? Will he prioritize keeping the government open um, versus, you know, at some point you could probably just say, like, we did our best to pass conservative bills, but the Freedom Congress blocked us, you know? I think that would be a fair enough uh, statement Sam, to, to make. Paul, are we looking at a full year CR? Well, it would be unprecedented. Um, I don't think we've ever had a full year CR on everything. Um, but But it's possible. It's possible. I mean, you could... You could write a full year CR with a lot of anomalies in it. I mean, it might, you know, it wouldn't quite be an omnibus, but you could increase spending in certain areas and reduce it in other areas. Um, you could do that. You could end up uh, passing, you know, some bills, you know, like in a mini bus, you know, a small package of bills. And then, you know, the rest of the bills would be in the form of a CR with some anomalies. Um, you know, Speaker McCarthy has, you know, you know, he's promised not to take up an omnibus. Um, but, you know, you could you could still pass some bills in smaller packages, and that would not be an all-encompassing omnibus. Okay. Well, the other thing we need to talk about, guys, is there's already pressure 
for a supplemental spending bill, uh, because even as House Republicans say we're spending too much and we, we need to cut back, senators really from both parties are saying these spending caps we're going to have under the debt limit deal are just are, are not high enough. Right. I mean, Senate Republicans are saying the cap on defense spending is is too low. They've already said they want a supplemental spending bill for defense, uh, including the top Republican appropriator in the Senate, Susan Collins, who said she wants to increase money for shipbuilding in a supplemental spending bill, not to mention there's going to be a need for more Ukraine aid. We're already seeing pressure for the supplemental bill, and Democrats immediately responded to that, Senate Democrats, and said, yes, we'll support a supplemental spending bill, but don't think it's just going to be for defense. They said, you know, we're going to have needs in disaster relief and border security and who knows what else. Um, It sounded to me as though this is going to open the box to a whole other raft of spending uh, that they can call emergency spending that won't have to fit under the spending caps, right? That'll be a a big opportunity here for extra spending on a lot of stuff coming down the pike. I'm curious to get your takes on when might we see a supplemental bill and how big it could get. Yeah. So while there's a lot of appetite on the Senate side, as you point out, for spending above the caps in the debt limit deal, which as a reminder, the Senate was kind of, they were not a part of the negotiations. It was just president and uh, I mean, at the end game of the debt limit negotiation, just the president in the House. So Senate Republicans especially, you know, were unhappy with the caps. Uh, I mean, Democrats also unhappy with the caps, but Senate Democrats with the defense focus were really upset with the caps and want more money. But as it doesn't, there's no indication yet that House Republicans are going to play ball with a spending package with more defense and non-defense spending, which is what you would need to pass the Senate. Uh, I just think House and Republicans look at that and say, no, we we negotiate these caps, we're going to stick to the caps. And uh, yeah. Well, but I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's that easy, Aiden, for Republicans to house the House Republicans to dismiss it, because what one thing you do have uh, is is disaster aid that's going to be needed. We know with hurricanes uh, in Florida, the Florida lawmakers are already pushing for hurricane relief. Um, The disaster relief fund is supposed to be running a deficit by September. There's definitely going to be a push for disaster relief, right? And once you push for disaster relief, you're talking about an emergency supplemental spending bill. And once you put that on the floor, it opens the door. They're going to have to negotiate, you know, because others can say, well, if you want your disaster relief, you're going to have to give us Ukraine aid or or whatever else. And it sounds like they're not going to be able to ignore this and just say, no, we don't want more spending. I mean, it sounds like we're in for some very difficult negotiations. Yeah. So the disaster relief piece is really uh, central here. I think it's something that Congress kind of, kind of has to do at some point, likely before the September CR. I mean, we will kind of have to wait and see, uh, you know, watch the weather, see see how bad the hurricane season is. But if they do have a big storm that needs federal relief, Congress will have to get, uh, we'll, we'll have to act with the disaster relief supplemental. But I, I don't know, it's just hard for me to look at, you know, Kevin McCarthy and House Republicans and think they'll just accept 
additional spending, at least right now, that's what the messaging is. It, they're not going to accept billions and billions of additional spending for a variety of priorities over the caps that they just negotiated. I think that would really kind of, you know, go guess what they've been pushing for all summer. I think maybe they'll negotiate on it, but it's it's kind of hard for me to see them this kind of uh, taking a big package from the Senate and moving it forward. So are you saying that a supplemental bill will just fall apart? Right now, it's hard for me to see the House passing a supplemental bill because then you would need McCarthy to be on board with it. Uh, and right now, he's not. Maybe he'll get there at some point, but I- I'm interested to give a pause, you know, Paul thoughts on this, but from my perspective right now, I definitely would not be betting on a supplemental bill um, passing the House. The flip side is the Senate could always say, Senate Republicans can say, we're not going to vote for you know, CR unless we get our defense money and then, then you maybe have some negotiations. But Senate Republicans will definitely not be getting all the defense money that they want. Paul, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think based on what Aiden has said, I think, I mean, you know, maybe you would end up looking at a pretty lean supplemental, something not, not as much as the Senate wants, but something that might be acceptable to the House with plenty of Democratic support. I mean, we we don't know yet when more Ukraine aid will be needed, but certainly that would prompt, that's going to prompt a, a supplemental bill too. Right. And, you know, that might not be needed for a while. Um, I mean, I think the most pressing thing will be the disaster aid. As you mentioned before, that that, that could run out. And I mean, I think that's projected, there's a projected shortfall in August, I believe, with that disaster relief fund. But at, with two two weeks left in the session and limited more time, I, I think the current idea potentially is just to take a wait and see approach and see if they can move money around to FEMA to cover for that shortfall. But if there is a big storm, that could really kind of spark some action. And I guess in reaction to a big storm, holding up a, sup- a emergency disaster supplemental for outside priorities is really kind of a tough political, could be a tough political look. Well, before our time runs out, which is fast approaching, I do want to um, take questions from our, our viewers. First question is, what is each panelist's opinion about the more likely final outcome, a year-long CR, an extended shutdown, or an omnibus final appropriations package? Paul, what's your guess? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I would err against a full year CR, I would err. I, I would think that there is, you know, I, I don't think an omnibus, um, but I think maybe some kind of appropriations agreement and maybe a lot of the, a lot of it would be in the form of some kind of modified CR, but I, I would not expect, you know, a first ever full year CR that includes everything, including fence. But, but I think it's, I think it's probably more possible than it ever has been, but I would I would bet against it. Aiden, what do you think? Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, we'll see an appropriations agreement. But when you look at kind of how things will move on the floor, I think that they'll maybe pass them in either you know have twelve votes for each individual individual bill or do a minibus with a few, and so they can say that it's not an omnibus. But I think at the end of the day, it will essentially act in the same way where you have the two. Uh, you know, you have both both chambers coming together, the far corner of the appropriations leadership, 
uh, working something out at the levels of the cap, so maybe just below them, but very, very close. I, I, I don't see the Democrats going much below those caps at all, at all. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, we will see an agreement. Uh, I think keeping the government, you know, electing government side down or year long CR are both um, are kind of it's two options that are worse for both sides, I think, than whenever they could negotiate in a, you know, agreement between, um, yeah, the Senate and uh, the House. And I, I would say, I think the least likely of the options is the government shutdown. I, I just think neither party wants that. I think both parties have been burned by those in the past. No one comes out looking good when there's a government shutdown. I, I just think that's really the least likely option, although not impossible, of course. A full year CR also does seem unlikely. Uh, they, I don't really think they've ever done it. Um, it would really mess things up, I think, and it would be hard to hard to get a deal on. I don't know. It would be awfully strange, uh, which leaves which leaves the most likely option, I guess, being the omnibus deal. The only problem there, I would point out, is is McCarthy has said he won't put an omnibus on the House floor. He, he they don't like these massive, you know, thousand page bills that no one has time to digest at the last minute before Christmas. He's vowed not to do that again, as, as Donald Trump had vowed. So I take Aiden's point where they won't call it an omnibus. So maybe they package that. I mean, the problem is they don't have time to do 12 individual bills, I don't think. So they'll have to at least package some together in little groups would be the best case scenario. They're certainly going to come late. We know that they're going to have to have a short term CR. And then when they could when they could do all these, whether they could do it by Christmas, whether it extends into the new year, this point is anyone's guess. Second question was, any thoughts on the timing, size, and prospects for another Ukraine supplemental spending bill? We talked about that a little briefly, guys. Um, the White House has not yet requested more money, but we know they will. And McCarthy does face McCarthy has signaled basic support for Ukraine aid, but he's walking a fine line because he is getting growing resistance from his Freedom Caucus folks who say enough is enough. And we have problems here at home and um, they won't vote for more Ukraine aid. Now, he may be able to lose Freedom Caucus and still pass that bill because Democrats will support it. But what do you think, guys, is the prospects for passing more Ukraine aid? Yeah, so I think as you pointed out there at the end of your uh, comment, the Freedom Caucus is never, you know, is not part of the coalition that the House needs to pass Ukraine aid. You know, I think they're, they're not going to be for it, but they haven't been part in the past and they're not going to be for it in the future. And I think, you know, Senate Republicans have been really supportive of Ukraine and, and Democrats uh, in both chambers. So I think, I think when the time comes that the administration requests more money, I mean, obviously we just saw uh, the Pentagon find 6.2 billion more dollars for Ukraine uh, because of the counting error. Uh, so it, obviously they have a little bit of time, but I think when the time comes, this is something that is likely to pass. Obviously the fear clocks will be upset about it and make some noise about it. But I think I think it's something we will see uh, pass. But I, I, I don't know when that will be. I think it, it, we have to start. Paul, anything to add to that? Oh, I agree with Aiden on that. Yeah, and we don't really know the size of it. It's going to be billions of dollars. It could be tens of billions of dollars. 
Um, but the administration hasn't put anything together yet. It sounds like they still have some months they can wait b- before they might request it. Uh, we'll keep an eye out on that. Uh, the next question is a little technical. It said, can you explain why the allocation for fiscal 2024 is lower than the fiscal 2023 enacted, even when the um, the, the debt limit deal, FRA, yeah, the uh, Fiscal Accountability Act, the, even when the debt limit nominally capped uh, fiscal 2024 at flat with fiscal 23. It's, that's a little complicated. What they're asking there is, if we had a debt limit deal that basically kept funding relatively flat, why are we seeing allocations for next year that are lower, right? Um, and I, the answer there is that that House Republicans, in order to get their caucus on board uh, with pressure from the Freedom Caucus, McCarthy had to promise them that despite the spending caps, he was going to write spending bills that are lower than the spending caps to pair back to fiscal 2022 levels. And so the allocations you're seeing out of the House reflect that a much lower level than than the enacted level this year. But what doesn't show up in these in the allocations chart that we showed you are the rescissions. There's there was sort of a side deal in the debt limit package that uh, where they agreed there's nothing in writing we can point to on this is another frustration and it makes it hard for them to even keep their promise on this and why lawmakers have mixed signals on it. But there was apparently a side deal where they agreed to claw back tens of billions of dollars that hadn't been spent yet from previous laws, including, you know, pandemic aid or last year's, Democratic package, the reconciliation package, and they were going to pump that untapped money into these into next year's bills so that the cut isn't quite as severe. So in the end, it might look more flat than these allocations would suggest. Guys, anything to elaborate on that to explain that or is that? Yeah, just to underline what you said um, in the in the dead limit um, law. Um, So, yeah, if you look at the 2024 total non-defense number that is lower than 2023 as you said but there are these side agreements and these rescissions that when you factor those in the 2024 non-defense number is roughly the same as the 2023 number right so that i think that's the distinction which is why they can put out allocations that show in terms of new budget authority they're spending less but then they have extra money on the side through these rescissions that could be used. Uh, we need to see the bills and whether they can pass, but they could be using this untapped money now to sort of replenish some of these programs so that in the end, funding would stay level, uh, which might make it easier to reach a deal with the Senate. But we'll have to see. The next question was, is the gap in appropriations in the House just posturing and appeasing the Freedom Caucus to set up smoother negotiations in the coming months. I think that's a fair take. I I, I think that uh, at the end of the day, obviously, if there's going to be appropriations passed, it will have to be bipartisan with the Senate. And I think that as we, you know, we've heard McCarthy say a few times over the past few weeks that he's kind of operating in a week to week 
uh, mindset. He's going to get through the week. And I, I think when the time comes, it, you know, it becomes more pressing to pass appropriations bills. They, you know, will obviously have to come up from the numbers that are pursuing now, but they are kind of drawing a line in the sand of saying, this is what we want to set up negotiations for Senate like they do every year. And I think appeasing the Freedom Caucus is, was a big uh, part of why they are writing under the cap. I see we're running out of time. Let me try to hit some more fast. What does passing the CR with Democrats do to the Freedom Caucus? Could it cause a revolt like we saw after the debt limit deal? Uh, I, I think you will need Democrats to vote for the rule uh, to pass any appropriations, uh, like an omnibus and minibuses at the, you know, when we get to the bipartisan end game, I think. Uh, but Democrats did that for the Dell limit deal, and I think they would do it again. Obviously, the Freedom Caucus would, would be annoyed by all this, but as we saw after the Dell limit deal, they blocked a rule, but they didn't motion to vacate McCarthy. Yeah, but we're still moving on. Uh, so I, I think that they'll be upset, but will they, you know, do anything substantial about it? We'll see. I mean, turning down the House floor is obviously very substantial, but we've they worked it out and we're moving forward. Next question is is another technical one. Uh, if there is a minibus, then a CR. Do one percent cuts go to effect on January first? That's a reference to this this automatic provision in the debt limit deal that calls for a one percent across the board cut if all the spending bills, the regular spending bills, aren't passed by January one. So his question was if if there's a minibus, meaning some of the bills pass but not all, and then a CR, do one percent cuts go into effect? Paul, do you want to take that one? Yeah, there is a simple answer to that. Um, um, if there is any hard year CR still in place by April 30, then the sequester will hit. It would hit after April 30, and it would hit if there is any part year CR still in place, no matter how many other bills have been passed. Yeah, it was a little confusing in the language of that provision because it calls for the bills to be passed by January 1. But in fact, if you read the language, the cuts don't, wouldn't take effect January 1. They actually give them until April um, before the cuts would actually kick in. So there's more time there than than it looks, it would appear. You would think by next April, they really would have all this done. So that that one percent sequester may be maybe more bluster than it than than real, but because um, they really do have time to avoid that uh, until next April, as you point out. Uh, next question: What would you say to staffers and members about appropriations this year? Kind of an open ended question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think we're going to. Uh be a long journey like it always is and and uh i'm very interested to see how things play out i don't have a good prediction i think last year you could have kind of looked at the previous year and said you know it seems like lady and shelby will hammer something out with delaro and, and then we'll move it up on the bus america business i mean you know something around that it seemed like it would have been somewhat predictable but this year i, I really with the new players in the house i, I i'm not entirely sure what's going to happen i think it's going to be really fun to watch as we uh move forward. I have to jump around here. We're running out of time. What role does the White House and the president play from here on out? Well, uh, um, I, so, yeah, some role, some role. I mean, yeah, the, certainly 
the White House will become more involved um, if, you know, like a, a package of bills is being negotiated between the House and the Senate. Um, and, you know, I mean, you know, beyond that, um, you know, tertiary role as usual. But of course, they need the president's support for any CR, which is the most urgent thing right now. Uh, and so the White House might be involved in cutting a deal on a CR. And and if there's a supplemental spending bill, they would play a critical role on that because the White House would have to request this emergency money. So you will see a lot of White House involvement, I think. Next question. Earmarks lightly don't incentivize members to vote for bills the way they once did many years ago. But could they possibly sway some votes? And how will Senate earmarks in the Labor HHS bill be reconciled where the House didn't even permit them? We haven't talked about earmarks uh, yet, guys. Uh, any thoughts on what role earmarks are playing this year? Obviously, a big argument against the CR from a lot of members is that they want their earmarks. They want their community projects funded. Uh, I think that'll you know, as ill-incentivized members who try to come up with regular appropriations agreement uh, in, in some form. Uh, but I, I obviously have to wait and see how it uh, how it plays out. When it comes to the Senate and House reconciling labor, HHS earmarks. Very fascinating uh, question. Going to be really interested to watch how that plays out. I don't have a good answer at this point on what we'll see, but obviously they're taking very different negotiating positions on whether or not those should be allowed. Uh, Paul, I'll defer to you. I think that I think they did outline rescissions in the debt limit bill, but I'm not sure it's as encompassing. I don't know if they're all there. Do you know, Paul? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they're all there. I mean, I think some of them are in these side agreements. Yeah, I think that's the problem. Is we don't we don't really have a full list of of what rescissions they might be counting on to make all their math work. I know the debt limit did did uh, rescind a lot of some of the pandemic aid. And there's there's pages of listings there of money that was being rescinded. Um, so that's part of it. What we don't know is, is that all of it? Uh, another question confusing on that on that 1% sequester again. Um, question is, so even if part of the government is under C a CR, do all the cuts go into effect or only cuts on things on the CR? All cuts, right? It goes across the board. It doesn't matter how many of the bills got passed, but if if they're not all passed in time, it's just a 1% across the board for, for everything, right? Right, right. So that was our webinar discussion on the state of appropriations, and that will do it for today. If you like what you heard here, you can subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which will hit your email inbox every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that on CQ.com, and you can follow all of our coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. My thanks again to Aidan Quigley and Paul Krozak for our webinar discussion, and thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. See you next time. Yeah.